0: Hello, this is Brett Martin, and welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. Continuing in our series on Encouraged in Our Lord, going through Psalms in the book of David. The title of the message this morning is, When Our Sins Find Us Out. And this is Psalms 51, and this is where the uh, prophet Nathan confronted David about his sin. So, please enjoy. Psalms number 51, we're going to read the whole psalm. It's not very long. We're going to start with the superscript. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone unto Bathsheba, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin as ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. For behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Delivered me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. O oh God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in my pleasure unto Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks unto thine altar. The title of the message this morning is When Our Sins Find Us Out. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, once again we bow our heads before you and ask you to bless this service. I pray that you bless the preaching of the Word of God. Bless us as a people. Help us to hear and understand and take home and hide in our hearts your Word. Be with us this morning. Bless our service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Four little words, thou art the man. Those four little words hit David completely out of left field. David was completely blindsided by those four little words. You see, for one solid year, David had everybody fooled. For one solid year, David had everybody fooled, and and no one knew. In fact, David actually came out of this thing looking like a million bucks. I mean, after all, he had comforted a bereaving widow. In fact, he took the, this widow of a military hero, he took her into his own palace and made her his wife, ensuring that, that she would never have need of nothing. And in fact, now they're blessed with this little baby that's going to be born. And, uh, you know, it it looked for a little while. It looked for just like a little while, like David had sinned and David had gotten away with it. He had sinned and he had gotten away with it, it looked like. And then came those four little words, thou art the man. One day there was a knock at the door. They opened the door and standing outside the door was Nathan the prophet and he had come to seek an audience with the king. He came before the king and Nathan looked at David and said, David, I got something to tell you. There's a man in your kingdom, he's a rich man. He's a man that has many flocks and he's a man that has many herds and this rich man had a traveler come to his house. But instead of getting a lamb to fix for supper from his own many flocks, he went to his neighbor, a very poor man. A poor man that only had one little lamb. But they kept that lamb in the house like it was part of the family. And that man treated that lamb like it was his own daughter that rich man came and yanked the lamb out of the poor man's hands, brought it to his house, slaughtered it, and served it to his traveler friend. David heard this, and David was fit to be tied. David was absolutely furious. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Samuel 12, 5 and 6, And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And that's when David blindsided him. That's when when Nathan got way, that's when David got waylaid by Nathan. When Nathan pointed his finger at David and said, thou art the man. You know, that was a whole year of David's life. From the time he sinned to the time Nathan confronted him. And I wonder this. I wonder how many songs David wrote in that year. I would suppose that he didn't write any. You know, because when, when you're convicted, when a person's conscience is convicted, and when their conscience is bothering them, the last thing that person wants to do is sing very last thing they want to do is sing. And you see, David had closed his mouth. And the only way he would ever show forth praise again is if the Lord would open his lips. Numbers 32, 23. But if ye ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Guess what David found out? David found out that his sin would find him out. King David discovered this truth. You know what King David also learned? King David also learned the principle in Proverbs thirteen fifteen: The way of the transgressor is hard. You see, David is no, uh, God is no respecter of persons. He is no respecter of persons. In fact, King David found this out. King David was no exception. Once Nathan came to David and confronted David with his sin, David had a choice to make. At that point in David's life, when Nathan pointed the finger at him and said, Thou art the man, David immediately found himself at a crossroads. How would David react to the fact that he was just confronted with his sin? How would he react? Now we know how humans normally react to being confronted with sin, with their own sin. Well, the first knee-jerk reaction we have is denial. I didn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do it. Then, next, just rage directed at the person who confronted us. How dare you insinuate that about me? How dare you say that about me? And the next, we try to minimize it. Oh, well, it wasn't that bad. It didn't affect that many people. It wasn't so bad. Why are you making such a big deal about it? Then there's an, a, a reluctant admitting to what they did wrong. Accompanied probably by some crocodile tears. And then one day the person wakes up and says, okay, let's move forward from this. But I want you to see that's not, that might be how most people react. That's not how David reacted. That is not how David reacted in this psalm. But when David, when, when, da, when Nathan pointed his finger at David, David's true character came out. He didn't respond with, with rage. He didn't respond with rebuttal. He didn't respond with revenge. He responded with Psalms 51. You know, it's one thing for a person to rejoice when everything's going okay. It's another thing to rejoice when everything's going right. It's another thing to rejoice when God has blessed you. It's another thing to react the way David did in the situation that David found himself in. It's completely different. When I was in Bible college, um, I had a roommate. Wait, wasn't my roommate? He was. He lived in the dorm room next to us. His name was Ryan. And uh, you know, well, there were six guys to a room. But Ryan spent more time in our room than he did his, in his room. Ryan was in our room one day, and he said, Brett, I need you to go over to such and such book sack and get something out of it for me. I had permission to do this. So I left my room. I went in Ryan's room. I went to his roommate's book sack, and I opened the book sack and looked in it, and I saw something wildly inappropriate. I saw pornography in his book sack. I, I dropped it like it was white hot. And then immediately my mind started racing. Now let me tell you what, my flesh did not want to turn him in. You know what my flesh said? My flesh said, Brett, it's none of your business. Brett, nobody likes a tattletale. Snitches get stitches, okay? (laughs) Nobody, nobody likes a tattletale, Brett. mind your business, go the other way. Forget, forget about it. Just forget about it. But the Holy Spirit would not let me do that. The Holy Spirit said, Brett, you need to say something. Brett, you need to say something. But I don't want to be a tattletale. Brett, you need to say something. So I did. I went to Brother Paul Cruz. He was the dorm supervisor, and Brother Paul came in there, and I showed him the book sack. He took the book sack. He went to his office. He put it in there. He went to the cafeteria. He found the guy. He put him in his office, and they shut the door. And I didn't hear anything else about it until that next Sunday. You see, the church that this... that had the college that I went to that a massive bus ministry that covered the entire city of Chicago. And this bus ministry was, it was, it was divided up into, into divisions. Each division had anywhere from eight to 25 bus routes in it. And just so happens that me and brother Paul Cruz were both bus captains in the same division. And it just so happens that Sunday that Our two routes had to share the same bus, and he was driving my bus. So I I wasn't going to say anything about it. But as me and Brother Paul was driving to the first stop, he looked back in the mirror and said, Brett, you did a good thing the other day. And I confessed to him, and I said, Brother Paul, I, I mean, I know that, but let me be honest with you, I didn't want to be a tattletale. And you know what Brother Paul said? That that guy, he was relieved that you found it. He was relieved and I said relieved what do you mean he said this guy had been carrying this burden for so long and he was all alone and he couldn't see a way out he said Brett that guy was relieved that he didn't have to carry the burden anymore he was relieved that he didn't have to go another day with this weight that he could finally seek and get help That is how someone with a repentant heart acts towards being confronted with their sin. That's how a person with a repentant heart reacts to sin. You know, I suspect Nathan outing David was a relief to David. It was a relief to David. There are many people, and you can attest to this, that don't mind playing the hypocrite. In fact, they love playing the hypocrite. They're actually very good at playing the hypocrite. But David was not one of those people. David was not one of those people who enjoyed playing the different uh, playing the hypocrite. David was different. David knew his life was a, was a sham. He knew that his sin was ever before him. Everywhere he went, he was haunted by his sin. Every time he led the nation in worship to God, he knew and was pricked in his heart by conviction. He knew that he was haunted by his sin. But you know what? Now the secret is out. Now he doesn't have to play games anymore. Nathan looked at David and said, Thou art the man. And you know what David's response was? I have sinned. That was his response. I have sinned. Could you imagine this morning the scene in the royal throne room that day? Maybe reporters scurrying to tweet out the news. You know, and it probably didn't take very long for five million residents from Dan to Beersheba knew what David had done. David was exposed. David was ashamed. David was embarrassed. Nathan said, Thou art the man. And David said, I have sinned against the Lord. His foes were laughing, his friends were weeping. His enemies in faraway lands were plotting his downfall. David knew the only thing he could do. He had done it many times before. David grabbed a piece of parchment. David grabbed a pen. And God gave David a song. God would take the lowest point in David's life and turn it into a spiritual victory. Only God can do that. Only God has the ability to do that. And that's what God did in David's life. As the king began to write the words of this song, no doubt tears most likely flowed down his face as he wrote the words to Psalms 51. However, those weren't tears of shame. Those weren't tears of embarrassment. Those weren't tears of selfishness. Those tears flowed because of what David had done to God. You see, he was not ashamed for his own selfish reasons. You know why David was ashamed? He was ashamed because he had disgraced God. That's why he was ashamed. So David, once again, help us out, man. What do we do when our sin is ever before us? How do we make things right when we have wronged God and we've wronged thee and thee only? What do we do when we realize that We were shapen in iniquity and conceived in sin. Basically this morning, how do we encourage ourselves in the Lord when we've lost the joy of our salvation? How do we do that, David? It's the reason why Psalms 51 is in the Bible. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise I've got some observations from Psalms 51 this morning. I'm going to give you these observations. We'll have the Lord's Supper and then we'll go home this morning. Number one, we need to see our sin from God's point of view. We need to see our sin from God's point of view. We love to tell ourselves that sin is a private matter. Does anybody remember what the political pundits said when the whole Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky thing came out? The political pundits would sit in the interview chairs and they'd say, Oh, well, well this, this is an issue between two consenting adults and it's really none of our business. But you know what? That was, that was very far from the truth. Very far from the truth, and it simply wasn't true. You see, uh, when when David committed adultery, he not only sinned against Bathsheba, but he sinned against Uriah. He sinned against his own family. He sinned against his entire nation. 2 Samuel 12, 14 says, He gave great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You see, the king of Israel got to enjoy many, many pleasures. The king of of Israel got to enjoy uh, many, uh, many pleasures. But you know what? Along with those, those pleasures also came great responsibility. See, David had more responsibility than anybody else in the kingdom. Luke 12, 48, For unto whom much is given, much is required. He was given more than anybody else, so more was required of him than anybody else. But I want you to notice what he said in verse 3. I told you he, he sinned against Bathsheba, and he sinned against Uriah, and he sinned against his own family. He sinned against the nation of Israel. But What did he say in verse 4? He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done evil in thy sight. A lot of people are offended at this. A lot of people think that David is minimizing is writing off Uriah and writing off Bathsheba. But but they're kind of they're kind of missing the point. David isn't belittling them. David's proclaiming how bad his sin really was. His sin was just that bad, you know. If he just sinned against a man, if he just sinned against a woman, that would be evil enough. That would be evil enough, but David knew that What his sin really was, was a rebellion against God. That's what his sin really was. When it boiled down to was rebellion against God, all the damage he caused to humans was minuscule when compared to the disgrace that he disgraced God with. You see, at the end of the day, God was the one who gave the law. At the end of the day, God was the one who gave the commandment. Exodus 20:14, thou shalt not commit adultery. God was the one who gave the law. God was the one who made the statement. So, you know, our sins, it is true that our sins can affect other people. Our sins can cause other people to stumble. Our sins can offend others. But at the end of the day, it is the holy God of the Bible that we sin against. It is the holy God of the Bible. It is an act of defiance against him. He is the only one who can remedy a rebellion. I want you to see this morning that David saw his sin differently than we see our sin. You see, we have our human ways of justice, you know. Um, we look the other way, pretend it didn't happen. We rename our sin, call it something less offensive. We minimize the results of it. Oh, it's not that bad. But you see, David knew that God had every right to judge his sin. God knew that, uh, David knew that God had every right to judge the sinner. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. The holy heaven, the holy God of heaven always judges justly. He always judges justly. David really didn't care about the opinions of everybody else. When his sin was exposed, David was embarrassed and he was ashamed. But he wasn't embarrassed because everybody knew. He wasn't ashamed because everybody in the country knew. He was embarrassed because he had disgraced God. You see, in David's mind, everybody else's opinion didn't matter. God was the only opinion that mattered. I can't show my face at that church anymore after they know what I've done. Who gives a flip? Who cares what people think? Their opinion doesn't matter. My opinion of you does not matter. The only opinion that matters is the opinion of God. David realized this. I can't show my face up there after what I've done. Who cares what people think? God's opinion is the only opinion that matters. And David knew that. Number two this morning. We need to understand what God is not looking for. We need to understand what God is not looking for. In our society... The default response to expose sin is religion. That's the knee-jerk response. Some people, they go to a confessional booth. Some people, they walk down the aisle and they cover the altar with their tears. Some people, they make a profession of faith. Some people, they give an offering. Religion can be a soothing salve to a convicted conscience. But you know what? David was in a mess. And David knew there was no religious solution. He knew there was no religious solution. That's why he said in verse 6, For thou desirest not sacrifices, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. You see, he had committed the intentional sin of adultery. And the law demanded a serious consequence. Listen to this consequence for the sin. Numbers 15, 30. But the soul that doth uh, ought presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproaches the Lord. Listen to this. And that soul shall be cut off from among the people. You know that the, the sin of adultery and murder was not provided for in sacrificial instructions. And the execution of the adulterer and the execution of the murderer was required. You see, David knew that no minister could absolve him. David knew no generous gift would change the outcome. David knew that no special sacrifice could make David forget. David was in deep trouble. David said he was shapen in iniquity. Uh, The events of this story of David's sin uh, is hardly an accident. David didn't just fall off the wagon one day. David didn't just up and make a mistake one day. From the very beginning, he was a sinner. From the very beginning, from the moment he was conceived, he was a sinner that was destined to die. Romans 5.12 Wherefore is by one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin? And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. I want you to know that the cross, the cross paints a vivid picture of how religion falls short. That paints a picture of how religion falls short. Because if gifts were enough, if offerings were enough, if prayers were enough, if rites and sacraments and sacrifices were enough, why did Jesus die? Why did he die an horrific death if a religion was enough? Because he, all that stuff existed before Jesus died on the cross. All that religious stuff was here and th- Jesus said, it is not enough. And that's why he died on the cross. He died on the cross because that stuff, it was not enough. All that religious stuff, it wasn't enough. Hebrews 10, 5 through 6. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. He had to die. Because God is looking for more than a religious act. God is looking for more than a prayer. God is looking for more than any of those things. Okay, so number three. We need to understand what God is looking for. What what is God looking for? David, in this psalm, he's rejecting the idea that religious sacrifices can appease God. He says, I reject your reality and I substitute my own. I'm just kidding. That's a Mythbusters joke. I don't know where that came from. Um, But anyway, he's saying, I reject that idea that, I reject the idea that religious sacrifices could appease God. So what he does in this psalm in two verses, in two verses, he, he, he shows us what reaction God is looking for. Verse number six, he says, Behold, thou desirest truth. In the inward parts, this is what God desires. Now I want you to see that it doesn't say He demands truth; says He desires truth. You know what makes God's. You know what makes God happy. Religion can sometimes encourage this state of fakeness. Religion can encourage this state of hypocrisy. Religion sometimes can encourage this facade that we can put on you know what makes God's what makes God happy when we throw off fakeness when we throw off hypocrisy when we throw off facade when we throw off this hypocrisy that religion can encourage and we're real and we're true that's what God is looking for he's not looking for an outward profession he's looking for an inward purity Then the second thing he's looking for is in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, that will not despise. Before God could build David, he had to break David. He had to break him. He had to break his pride. He had to break his arrogance. He had to break his stubbornness. With the words, Thou art the man... God crushed this cocoon of hypocrisy that David had wound wound around himself. He crushed it. And the Bible says what was left was a contrite heart. know what contrite means? Contrite means broken into pieces. David's heart was broken into pieces. We are taught to believe in today's society that a broken heart is a bad thing. David is saying, when it comes to God, a broken heart is a necessary thing. A broken heart is a necessary thing. Um, When our heart is broken, we're no longer full of ourselves. When our heart is broken, we realize the seriousness of our sin. We realize we've broken fellowship with God and we're ashamed of what we've done. You know, religion offers... External, external sacraments, offerings, prayers, robes. But God is looking for so, something eternal, internal. God is looking for something simple. You don't need a degree from New Orleans Seminary to understand God. God wants you to have a broken heart over your sin. That's not, you don't need a degree to understand that. If you sinned against God, God wants you to have a broken heart over it. You know what he said in this verse? He said, if you have a broken heart over your sin, I will not despise you. So if we're concerned about our sin, if we're concerned about that, and we don't want God to potentially despise us because of our sin, we better have a broken heart over our sin. Because if we have that broken heart, he promises in the scripture, he won't despise us. Have a broken heart over your sin. Number four, we need to take responsibility for our sin. We need to take responsibility for our sin. When Nathan pointed the finger of conviction at David, it did not take David very long to respond. Needless to say, he did not wait for the second verse of the invitation before he came down and got right. I want you to notice David uses ten personal pronouns in the first three verses of this verse. Ten personal pronouns in three verses. David left absolutely no doubt whose sin it was and whose responsibility it was for the sin. My transgressions, mine iniquity, my sin. David said, thou art the man. And in so many words, David said, you're right. I am the man. I am the man. The word acknowledged in verse three, it describes a willingness to admit what God said is true. You know, you'd think, well, you know. Um, it may seem obvious that that david David knew that his, that his actions were sinful. Why did he have to say it? You'd be surprised how rare it is, especially in this day and time for somebody to admit their actions are sinful. You know how rare it is for somebody to admit openly admit that their actions are sinful it's a very rare thing. So David admits his sin and I want you to notice that in that in Psalms 51 One word is missing. One word is missing. And it's the word that me and you might put in there. There are 343 powerful words in Psalms 51. But this one word, you won't find it in the psalm. And you know what the word is? The word is but. But is not found in there. I have sinned against you, Lord, but. What about Bathsheba? I have sinned, but you don't understand the pressures of my job. I have sinned, but it's not as bad as everybody says it is. I have seen, I have sinned, but I don't get enough attention at home. No buts, no ifs, no buts. No exceptions. David was taking complete ownership and responsibility for his sin. I also want you to notice the words that David said, what he called his sin. He called his sin transgression. That means he sinned on purpose. He did it intentionally. He called his sin iniquity. Iniquity means he covered up his sin. Even the basic word sin, it means to miss the mark. In verse 4, he calls his actions evil. And In four, verse 14, he uses the word blood Guiltiness. The coroner's autopsy report showed that Uriah died from an arrow, but David knew better. Blood guiltiness. Number five this morning, we need to know what only God can do. We need to know what only God could do. As a king, David could do anything. But as a man with a broken heart, he knew there were some things that only God could do. In verses 7 through 12 in Psalms 51, David sounds like a helpless child. And David is asking God to do things that David knows he himself cannot do. It is humbling for us to admit that we can't do something. That's why men don't pull over and ask for directions. No, I can get there. Uh, turn that phone off. I don't need you. I'm Siri, you don't need to tell me where to go. I know where to go. <laughs> I want you to look at these requests, he says. He says, purge me, wash me, make me, create in me cast me not away restore unto me uphold me david realizes that no human work could solve the problem religion has created this false place called purgatory and david says lord you purge me ministers they lure people down in the basins of water Claiming that that water can wash away their sin. But David says, God, only you can wash away my sin. Pills and philosophies and psychologies cannot make a new person. Only God can make a new person. Only the God of creation can make a dirty heart clean. Only the God of joy can restore the joy of your salvation. Only the God of grace can uphold you. We must be confronted with our sin. You know why? If we're not confronted with our sin, we won't know how dark it is. And if we don't know how dark our sin is, we won't know how badly we need God. Thou art the man was actually a blessing in disguise. It was a blessing in disguise. Number six, we need to trust God to do what only he can do. We need to trust God to do what only he can do. If ever a person is to be restored, God must do all the work. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot cleanse ourselves. The phrase of verse 14, David says, delivered me. You know why he said delivered me? Because David knew it would take someone stronger than himself to rescue him. That's why he said to the Lord, deliver me. There are six times in this psalm where David addresses God directly. And he does that by saying the phrase, oh God. You know why he's addressing God in this way? Why he's directly calling out God? Because he has just spent a year dragging the name of God through the mud. Now he's calling out to God in remorse for what he's done. And you know what God did? God delivered him. God delivered him. Now it is true that he felt the consequences of his sin until the day he died. That is truth. Can't get away from that. You know what's also true? It's also true that his fellowship was restored. His relationship was made right. He got back what he lost from his fellowship with God years later the Bible says that God after this after the sin God was still blessing Israel because of David 1 Kings 15 4 and 5 nevertheless for David's sake did the Lord give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything he commanded him all the days of his life save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. God washed him. God cleansed him. God purged him. God created in him a right heart, a clean heart. God renewed in him a right spirit. God restored the joy of his salvation. I want you to know that David, when it it comes to David's sin, God blotted his sin out. He blotted his sin out. That's a glorious truth. Now, to blot something out, it meant something different in the Bible days. When me and you hear "blot out," we think of maybe an antique ink, ink blotter. We think of maybe a secretary sitting at a desk with a little little bottle of white out and kind of painting over a mistake. We might picture, and we think of blot out. We may think of that little white out bottle. In fact, there was a Texas woman named Betty Nesmith. Uh, who turned that little white bottle into a $50 million industry, okay? Uh, but, you know, the Bible the Bible word has a different meaning. See, back in the day, back in the Bible day, parchment was very, very expensive. So when you made a mistake, what the scribe would do is they would take a sponge, a damp sponge, and they put it on the parchment, and they begin to wipe and wash and cleanse that mistake and... Clint washed that error away. And when the the scribe was so careful that when he got done, you could look at the parchment and not even tell that a mistake was made. That's how it was with David's sin. David's sin, by the mercy of God, it was washed away and it was removed so there was no record that the sin ever existed. In God's account book, his sin isn't painted over. His sin isn't erased. His sin is completely removed. 1927, there was a songwriter named Merrill Dunlap who was sailing across the Atlantic Ocean on an ocean liner called the Leviathan. One day, Nathan, one day Mr. Dunlap was, standing, was sitting on the deck looking at the waves, the rolling waves in the sea, and it got him to thinking how, how deep his sins were buried in the sea of God's forgetfulness. And with this in mind, uh, Mr. Dunlap, he got up pen and paper and he began to write the words to this song. And the roads that he, worked, that he wrote go like this. What a wondrous message in God's word. My sins are blotted out, I know. If I trust in his redeeming blood, my sins are blotted out, I know. Once my heart was black, but now what joy? My sins are blotted out, I know. I have peace that nothing can destroy. My sins are blotted out, I know. I shall stand some day before my king. My sins are blotted out, I know. With the ransom host and I shall sing. My sins are blotted out, I know. My sins are blotted out, I know. My sins are blotted out, I know. They are buried in the depths of the deepest sea. My sins are blotted out, I know. So once again, David calls the choir director. The choir director hadn't heard from David in a long time. Maybe the choir director thought he'd never hear from David again, but David called him up. Maybe David, David never imagined a day when he could ever again be encouraged in the Lord. Christian, God is able to break and God is able to make. We can be restored. We can know His mercy. We can be strong again even when we've sinned against the Lord. We can be encouraged in the Lord.